Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to pause for a few moments to reflect on you and your goodness to us. We pray that as we open the Holy Scriptures, that the Holy Spirit would guide our thoughts and our minds. Speak to us, we pray. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're continuing in our series that we've entitled Lessons from the Life of Paul. And in our series, I wanted to transition a little bit today and talk a little bit about his writings. And I'd like to talk about hermeneutics. Now, if you're like me, the first time you heard hermeneutics, you're like, Herma who? And this is a word that describes the process of the principles and the study of biblical interpretation. And some of you may be wondering, why do we need to study how to interpret the Bible? Why don't we just interpret it? Well, I want to begin by reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And here is the Apostle Peter commenting on the writings of Paul. And I want you to notice what Peter says about Paul, and they were contemporaries, and here it is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul. Now, I want to pause right there, because according to Galatians, they had an interesting relationship. Remember in Galatians, we said a few weeks ago that Paul confronted Peter, remember that? and said, look, why you being a Jew expect Gentiles to live like Jews do? And they had this confrontation about the Moses requirements that were applicable to Christians and which were not. And, but here you can see that they still have warm feelings toward one another. He says, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Here is the Apostle Peter commenting on Paul's writings, and notice that Peter says Paul's writings, some of them, are hard to understand. I'm glad he said that because he's not. He, I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one. But he, here it is. He says, look, some of his writings are difficult to understand. But I want you to also notice that he says that these people distort Paul's writings as do the other scriptures. Now, it's interesting because commentators note that here, Paul's writings, according to Peter, are in the same category as the biblical canon that existed in that day. Now, the New Testament was be still being written, but here, the Old Testament canon is the other scriptures. And here, Peter says of Paul that his, by implication, are like the other scriptures. Same inspiration, same Holy Spirit, same divine guidance, same instruction as the Old Testament. So here, the canon is coming together and already in the first century, Peter acknowledges that Paul's writings are in the same category of inspiration as the other scriptures as we know today as we read the Old Testament and New Testament. The other observation I want to make about this text is that not only are Paul's writings, some of Paul's writings, difficult to understand, but that his writings are distorted by some, misconstrued, in other words, 
misinterpreted. This was taking place in the first century as Paul's writings were being disseminated in the Christian empire and people were being blessed. There were individuals that were taking Paul's writings and misinterpreting them. And some people may say, oh, that doesn't have eternal consequences. But the Bible says that Peter indicates that this misinterpretation led to their destruction. In other words, misinterpretation, having bad hermeneutics, can lead to one's spiritual demise. The implication is there's a right way to interpret Scripture, and there is a wrong way. And here in the first century, with Paul's writings, there were individuals that were taking his writings and misinterpreting them to their own spiritual destruction. Now, I want to give a couple incidences in American history, namely the Civil War, in which the antebellum South used Paul's writings to support a theology of slavery. Fascinating. Uh, for a number of years in American history, there was slavery being practiced in America, and the Bible Belt in the South, there were preachers that were saying that slavery is supported by Scripture. Now, I want to read to you an article from Christianity Today, which I have subscribed to, and this one was a reflection of the theology of Southern Christians and the preachers and theologians that used Paul's writings to support a stance on slavery. And here it is. I quote from Christianity Today. Many Southern Christians felt that slavery, in one Baptist minister's words, stands as an institution of God. Here are some common arguments made by Christians at the time. The Apostle Paul specifically commanded slaves to obey their masters, Ephesians 6, verse 5 through 8. Slavery's, slavery brings heathens to a Christian land where they can hear the gospel. Christian masters provide religious instruction for their slaves. Now, this is appalling right now, reading it from the 21st century. But there was a theology that was coming out. Now, for the record, Paul was not supporting the institution of slavery. Joseph was sold as a slave to Potiphar's house. Now, he was the best servant that he could be in that unjust system. And here Paul is giving counsel to Christian servants, Christian slaves, saying, look, obey your masters as long as it doesn't conflict with God's requirements. Be the best servant you can be. But in that statement, Paul was not categorically supporting the institution of slavery. But here it is, bad hermeneutics. We can see it very clearly from the 21st century. This is abhorrent how the antebellum South and the Protestants and the evangelicals in the southern part of America were using a theology from Scripture to support the institution of slavery and justifying by saying, look, this can bring about their eternal salvation. How convenient. How convenient. I want to read on. This is from Bishop Stephen Elliott of Georgia. I may say millions who have learned the way to heaven and who have been made to know their Savior through the means of African slavery. At this very moment, there are from three to four million Africans educating for earth and for heaven lessons of self-control, 
of obedience, of perseverance, of adaptation of means to ends, learning above all where their weakness lies and how they may acquire strength for the battle of life. Now, I did not put this quote in its entirety. I truncated it because part of it was so offensive I could not share it from the pulpit. A Protestant saying that it's in the best interest of these slaves to be slaves and using a theology from the Bible to support the institution and using all these justifications. And at the end, he says, look, and this is my reason for supporting the slaves in the South. Hermeneutics, very important. How can you read the same scripture and come to such a conclusion? And there are a number of individuals that have recognized the disparity. And here's Frederick Douglass, the, the freed slave that became an abolitionist, a mighty worker here in the United States of America. And he says, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I find the widest possible difference. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, woman-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. This is not the only issue that we're facing today. Now, it may not be as repugnant as we find these statements to be that we just read earlier. But there are issues today where individuals read Paul's writings, and I've been in congregations where uh, a woman will get up to speak, and there will be a section of the congregation that will walk out because of an understanding of Paul's writings. I was in one congregation where they espoused, uh, a certain group espoused that women should always have their hair covered because of some of Paul's writings and these applications that come in. The discussion and conversation about women's ordination. Now, trust me, I don't want to dive into that discussion. But there are are people that are pro-women's ordination and they use Paul's writings, and then there are people that are not for women's ordination and they use Paul's writings. And, and the point is that how we interpret the Bible makes a big difference in where we end up. Same text, same scripture, and people ending up on opposite sides of the theological spectrum. As apparent as those that used Paul's writings to support the equality of every individual. Paul said there is no slave or free nor male or female. We are all equal in Christ. That's his implication. And so the abolitionists would uphold this. And then the, the people that were pro-slavery would say, look, uh, Paul said support and, you know, obey your master. So that, that is support of slavery in that regard in same scriptures. And, and the difference is in this idea of hermeneutics. How do we approach scripture? How do we come to the text and arrive at a conclusion and not misinterpret scripture as Paul? Peter said of Paul's writings in the first century. There were people out there that were taking Paul's writings to, to twist them and misconstrue them into something that he never wrote. And it'll be interesting when you get to heaven and you talk to Paul 
And he reflects on the last 2,000 years since he's written his writings, and it'll be interesting because he likely will say, look, I never said that. But here we are in this process, in this challenge of of hermeneutics, and I want to specifically deal with Paul's writings because it seems to be that at the center of every theological controversy, there is Paul. Or I should say, his writings. Paul was a scholar, brilliant theologian, the most educated apostle of the New Testament, the most prolific writer. He was a trained theologian. He loved long sentences with lots of prepositional phrases. Have you ever diagrammed his sentences? I mean, prepositional phrase based on prepositional phrase. And we owe so much the Reformation because of Paul. So I do not want to diminish Paul's contribution, but at the same time, like Peter, acknowledge the difficulties that we have in the task of theology that was apparent in the first century. How do we go about being a faithful Christian that rightly divides the word of truth. The majority of the New Testament, in terms of contribution and writings, was from the Apostle Paul, and they are all letters. They're what we call occasional letters, epistles, and they were written in a certain context from Paul to an individual, such as Timothy or Titus. This was a personal letter that was preserved to this day, and we have them 2,000 years later. They were also written to a church, a community of faith, Colossae, which is the book of Colossians, Ephesus, you know, the book of Ephesians. And we have these wonderful letters that are preserved for us today. And, and here is the challenge, and I tried to think of the best analogy to illustrate the, the nature and the challenge that we have of theology. Let's say that in 2019, I write an email to the Hillside O'Malley Church, and I say, we are having haystacks for lunch this Sabbath. If you're an Adventist, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you that are not a part of our community of faith, haystacks is a glorified taco salad. Okay, that's what it is. Okay. You know, get chips, and it's wonderful. One of my favorite meals, and, and uh, beans, and salsa, and lettuce, and, and, you, and you pile it up. Beautiful. Haystacks. And, and this is a, a unique word that is understood in our culture, in our community of faith. So, so I write this email in 2019, and let's say that human life continues to exist beyond 2019, 2,000 years. I can't even imagine that. I, I believe the Lord is coming far before that, but let's say for the sake of argument, for the sake of illustration, 2,000 years expire, and there is still life on planet Earth. There's still humans living on planet Earth, okay? And it's 4019. Wow. Can you imagine that? 4,019. And going through the digital archives, a researcher in 4019 comes across this email from an obscure preacher living in Alaska to the Hillside O'Malley Church in South Anchorage. We are having haystacks for lunch this Sabbath. And he tries to interpret this email. Not an Adventist, has no context 2,000 years later, and he's like, man, they wrote emails back in that day. How antiquated. What is an email anyway? 
2,000 years ago, he goes through and he finds this, we are having, and then he writes an essay on this sentence and says that Pastor David was encouraging his congregation to eat straw. <laughs> this was a religious group that believed in certain health habits. They were vegetarian and they took it quite literally to go back to a certain type of diet and they, they would eat straw. Not only would they eat straw, but they would eat stacks of straw. And this contributed to a certain culture in their day and so forth, and they would have stacks of hay regularly on Sabbath lunch. This is bad hermeneutics. But you can see the challenge that this researcher faces in 2019. Not only are you facing a 2,000-year time gap, but you're also facing a cultural gap as well. Huge cultural gap. I mean, who can even imagine the culture of 4019? We, we can't even imagine it. Just like in the first century, they would not be able to imagine life today in 2019. No way. No way. And so here is the task of theology. Here's a man in 4019 trying to understand a, a personal email that is being sent to a congregation saying we need to have haystacks or we're having haystacks this Sabbath. And so the, the challenge is if that person okay, tries to understand what it means in 4019 without trying to understand what it meant, I should say, 4019, what it meant in 2019, you're going to come to a conclusion that is way out in left field. The point is, it can never mean today what it never meant back then. So here is the task. This researcher needs to go back and have an understanding of what it meant in that community of faith to have haystacks, what it meant to be an Adventist living in the 20th century, 21st century, and, and go and have an understanding of what it meant back then, and then do the 2,000-year travel and translate it into what it means in 4019. Are you following me, yes or no? This is, this is the challenging task. Now, you know, we, we kind of laugh at this illustration, but, but it shows you some of the, the challenges that we have in New Testament hermeneutics. Here it is, okay? Similar illustration. What it means today, we're living right now, 2019. Different culture, different time. There's a 2,000-year gap to Paul's letters personal letters that he wrote to a community of faith, personal letters that he wrote to Timothy, to Titus, to Onesimus on the behalf of Philemon, all these contexts and so forth. And, and the challenge is, the reason why there is so much misinterpretation of Paul's writings in the 20, 21st century, one of them is people are trying to understand Paul's writings from the standpoint of what it means today without doing the work of going back to understanding what it meant in the, in the first century. 
Now, I'm not going to be so pretentious here today to assume that in a 30-minute sermon and a homily that I'm going to give you principles of biblical interpretation that's going to solve all of the problems that we're having in understanding specifically Paul's writings. But my hope is that I could just give you a brief cursory perspective of some of basic principles and encourage you to study for yourself. Now, some of you may be like, oh, Pastor David, you know, I'm not a pastor or theologian, you know, uh, you know, why do we have to spend all our time doing these types of things? Well, part of the pa- pastor's role is not just to preach the word, but to equip the saints. Amen? And when you study the Protestant Reformation, prior to the Protestant Reformation, there was this idea of clergy and laity. Uh, Sometimes you go to uh, Western Europe and you look at the pulpits that are in Western Europe, even in Protestantism as they were developing and moving. But but when you look at the pulpit, I I saw a picture that was sent to me this week and I've seen it in, in Switzerland as well, a different pulpit. But the pulpit is like, it's like in the rafters. I mean, you have to like, climb a staircase to get to the pulpit. So, so it's a very high view of clergy, high view of church. In other words, the pastor is up there. We're, you know, the congregation is down here, you know, and I stand up here because I'm short, not because I believe in that theology, okay, and, and so forth. And so, so the pastor's up there, the laity are down here, and, and the laity are at the feet and the mercy of the pastor to interpret the Bible for us. Please tell us what the Bible says. And the entire lay congregation of the organized church prior to the Protestant Reformation was at the mercy of the pastor. You couldn't even have a Bible. It was illegal. It was chained to the church. And so you would come to church to, to have the pastor deliver his hermeneutical understanding of Scripture led to a lot of errors. And then the Protestant Reformation came along and said, why don't we give everyone a Bible? Scary thought. Imagine the heresies that will result from that. Well, the track record, it's a lot better that way than the other way, okay? And and this idea of the priesthood of all believers, that everyone is given the task of being a Bible scholar. You know God has called you to be a Bible scholar, a Bible student, a person that is to go to the Word for yourself and come to your own conclusion about what Paul is saying and not be dependent on me as a minister. Now, I want to tell you something. I could be deceived. I could be leading all of you astray right now. I could be selling something, all right? I could have sipped some doctrinal wine and not in a right spiritual state. I could be leading this entire congregation astray, and you need to study the Bible for yourself. Don't trust your eternal destination to me. I can't bear that burden. I want to say this too. Don't trust your favorite Adventist celebrity either. 
Don't trust your favorite guru. Don't trust your favorite writer. Now, I'm not saying that they can't have significant contribution. I'm talking about a guru, but you know what I'm talking about, a, a pastor or so forth. But that's supplemental. Every person should be able to go to the scriptures for themselves and come to their own conclusions. And I believe the reason today why we have so much spiritual illiteracy is that we're actually going backwards and rewinding the Protestant Reformation, even the Adventist Church. And that's why I'm so careful, you know, when I get up in the pulpit and I say, in the Greek it says, because automatically when you say something like that, you're saying, look, the scholar understands, but the laity doesn't. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying that we can't use biblical languages, but there should not be that separation. You have the opportunity to understand Scripture as clear or clearer than the person in the pulpit. I believe that. And it is your privilege to do this. So in the task of theology, we need to, we need to go back and, and read Paul's letter and, and understand what it meant back then. Go back and, and read Paul's letter and say, look, what did this mean to Timothy? And the, the challenge of an epistle 2,000 years later, it's like you're listening to only half of the conversation on a phone call. You ever tried that? You're listening over, you know, eavesdropping on someone's phone call and they're, they're talking and so forth, but you're not hearing the person on the other end. Okay, but, but you can kind of guess what is being talked about. And this is the challenge. When you read Paul's letter to Corinth, there's going to be some information, even today, with the best research in Christian scholarship and brightest minds we have in exegetical literature, you're not going to be able to get all of the information and all of the resources. Okay? Why did Paul say women should be silent in church? Is that a categorical principle that's to carry on to the end of time? Yeah. Or is that a statement? Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> Theologian. <laughs> you know, and, or, 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 is that, or is that in response to a situation that is taking place in Corinth that he's specifically writing to that we only have half the story of? I believe that it's that. But if you just go here and you say women should be silent in church, but you don't try to understand what it meant back then, you come up with some interesting theology. Interesting theology. One dear saint would come to church, his wife would have to wear something on her head because she, he read from Paul's writings that a woman's should, hair should be covered or head should be covered. He had not gone back to that journey and that context to understand that this was in a specific context. It was an occasional letter that was written to a specific time, specific circumstances, and our task in Bible study is to think, to go back, what did it mean back then? What it meant? And then ask ourselves, what is the principle and what is the circumstance that it would apply to today. Now, there are some things in the letter that are contained to that specific situation that you would have a very difficult time gaining a principle from. When Paul says to Timothy, bring my cloak with you, that is talking to Timothy. 
You're not to go grab Paul's cloak and bring it to where he is. Are you following me? Okay, so, so, so there are some things. Now, there may be some, some principles of how we treat each other that you can draw out of it, but this is the task of theology. So you go back to what it meant. You get the principle, and then you do the tough task of theology to bring it back to what it means today. So in big picture, when you read Scripture, you should always be asking these two questions. What it meant to the original audience, to the original hearers, and then do the task of interpretation, what it means today. And here is a key part of biblical interpretation. It can never mean today what it never meant then. If it didn't mean it then, it doesn't mean it now. And we need to do this with the Holy Spirit's help. And so here are some practical pointers when it comes to the task of Bible study. Number one, pray. When you open the words of Scripture, when you're reading Paul's writings in this case, ask for the Holy Spirit's help. And I love this from A.W. Tozer. The Bible is a supernatural book and can be understood only by supernatural aid. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This is a spiritual venture. So we need spiritual help. We need supernatural help. John Piper, if our pride has not been crucified by the Holy Spirit, the Bible will be a wax nose, and we will call it foolish or mold it to fit our own natural desires. You'll approach, approach Scripture and twist it to any way that you want to meet what you want to believe if we don't have the Holy Spirit and we're surrendered to His leading. Very quickly here, this room. Testimony Volume 5, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we shall be continually liable to rest the scriptures or to misinterpret them. There is much reading of the Bible that is without profit and in many cases a positive injury. Do you know you can receive spiritual injury from reading the scriptures improperly? When the word of God is opened without reverence, without prayer, when the thoughts and affections are not fixed upon God or in harmony with his will, the mind is clouded with doubt and the very study of the Bible and in the very study of the Bible, skepticism strengthens. The enemy takes control of the thoughts and he suggests interpretations that are not correct. So when we talk about hermeneutics, we cannot eliminate in our conversation the need for the Holy Spirit. And in the postmodern revolution, one of the most significant contributions that it had was this idea that there is no objective, unbiased approach to data. We all come with bias. We all come with presuppositions a priori to the text, and we need the Holy Spirit's help to say, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, very quickly, the spirit which you come to the investigation of the scriptures will determine the character of the assistant at your side. Angels from the world of light will be with those who in humility of heart seek for divine guidance. But if the Bible is open without, with irreverence, with a feeling of self-sufficiency, if the heart is filled with prejudice, Satan is beside you and he will set the plain statements of God's word in a perverted light. That's scary. 
We come to Scripture with arrogance. We don't have angels by our side. Satan is there. Takes those texts, distorts them, and we will arrive at a wrong conclusion. After you've prayed and asked for the Holy Spirit, this is an important principle when it comes to epistles. Read the entire letter of Paul through in one sitting at least two times. This is a letter. Now, when I get a letter or an email from someone, I don't read the first two words and then meditate on it for a whole week and then come back and read the next two words. Dear David, dear that can be an affectionate tone. That can mean precious. That can mean a, a cordial salutation. I wonder what this person meant when they said, dear David. Was it dear David or dear David? Let me meditate on that a little while. I mean, it sounds ludicrous, but this is what some people do with Paul's writings. They lift a statement without reading the entire letter. And they meditate on it. I'm not saying there's some devotional value to it, but if you want to arrive at a proper conclusion, you need to read the whole thing. So when you read a letter or read an email to understand what type of deer it is, if it's from my wife and there's a whole context to it, that deer is a lot more than deer from the IRS. You following? Okay? You got to read the whole letter. You got to read who, you got to read who it's from. Okay? you got to read the relationship between those two individuals. Read the entire letter of Paul through in one sitting at least two times. I want to encourage you to do this. Read it through. Read it through and, and get the big picture and the tone of the letter. Who is Paul writing to? Why is he writing? What picture emerges of the issues in Corinth? And you need to go back and say, look, what did it mean to the original audience? and get that picture as it emerges. So read it through on a Sabbath afternoon. Very quickly here. Number two, read the entire letter of Paul through in one sitting at least two times. Get a feel for the big picture and whole argument that Paul is making. Don't get bogged down in the details in your first initial reading. Get the big picture, the whole argument as you're reading it through. Make a list of everything you, you find about the recipients and their problems. So get a notebook out. Now we're talking about Bible study here. And, and in your mind, construct a, a mental picture of who he's writing to, why he's writing, the problems he's facing, and make a list of key words and repeated phrases. And so this is, this is ground zero for in the process of interpretation, what it meant then, to the original audience, to the original hearers, then you do the tough task of coming back to today, asking what is the principle, what is the application, what are the unique circumstances living in the 21st century that this would apply to. And notice, there are universal principles that are very apparent in Paul's writing, writings and that are very clear and apparent, but some other parts of Paul's writings are very difficult. And you need to ask yourself, what is core to the central, to the core to the Christian message and what is peripheral. What is moral, okay, and what is, what is Paul's preference? When Paul says, I wish that all men be as I am, single, that is not a moral imperative that everyone be celibate. But you need to go in the task of interpretation to, to come to that conclusion. And finally, it can never mean what it never meant. 
Very simple ground rules for biblical interpretation that every Christian is called to do and to be. I have a picture on the screen of Dean Cullinane. And this past year, him and a friend of his started a podcast called Why They Did That. These were college students. They're still college students right now. One of them is a business major. Dean Cullinane is a theology major, and the business major was in a class and just got inspired because he noticed that in a lot of the Christian programming, these are Adventists, by the way, in a lot of the Christian programming, um, either the message was great, but the medium was unprofessional, or, or vice versa. And so their, their vision was to create a professional podcast doing this very exercise. What it meant, what it means. Very practical application to day-to-day life. And so they launched this podcast and it took off. Right now, it has been listened to thousands of times in over 80 different countries. This was featured, by the way, in our Adventist publication, Adventist World, in which these two college students brought forth a, a method of delivering the beautiful pages of Scripture what it meant and what it means, and there has been a response that is phenomenal to this podcast. They raised thousands of dollars in a short period of time to keep this project going. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. It is very well down, done, very profound. You can, you can find it on iTunes or your Apple podcast or another podcast. But a, a number, uh, I, and so I googled Dean Cullinade on YouTube, and I came across this testimony that he gave over six years ago. And you can tell, this man sitting there shortly after his conversion, it is the most raw and authentic testimony I've ever heard. And he talks about his earliest memory. He was born Roman Catholic, went to church, didn't believe in God, and he's, and he's sitting there telling his testimony, and he says, my earliest memory was at the age of three. He heard a noise in his house, he woke up, three years old, goes to his parent, his mom's bedroom, he peeks through the door, and it's his mom. Try to make this as delicate as I can, but there was a man that was on top of his mom with a knife that was stabbing her in the leg. Earliest memory, three years old. And he said his mom looked up and saw him and started to cry. And he said he just went back to his room. Later on, he said that that, that incident, his mom told him that the man that was on top of her was his father. And then he recognized the circumstances surrounding his birth and conception. And he talks about how in his journey he was angry at God. Angry at men and father figures because he had never had a father in his life. 
She, he talks about how his mom remarried, and he hated that man. Long story short, he's invited to a Bible study on Daniel Revelation. He has the Bible study, and in his testimony, this is the most raw testimony ever, he said he goes back home, and, and he's like, there is a God. There is a God. I mean, talk about Nebuchadnezzar's dream was, was given to Nebuchadnezzar, and it was salvific. And so here it is. He says, there is a God. Long story short, he, he goes on Amazon.com, and he says he buys the cheapest Bible he can get. He gets it in the mail. And he said he fears his mother. He doesn't want his mother to know because he knows that she will scoff at him for owning a Bible. Why are you going to So he hides it in his bed, in his cover. And in the dark of night, he gets a light out to, walk, to read the Bible to read the Bible under the covers, and he's reading his Bible, and he's going through this transformation. He comes forward in an appeal. He, he decides to become a Seventh-day Adventist, baptized Christian. He knows this is a public thing, and so he goes to his mother and sits down with his mother and says, Mom, I'm going to be a baptized Christian Seventh-day Adventist. And his mom says, No, you're not. No, you're not. And he said in that moment, he cried out a prayer and said, Lord, you got to help me. And he said in the course of their conversation, in half an hour, his mom went from, no, you're not ever going to be baptized, to, I don't know what I'm going to wear. What am I going to wear? And he gives the testimony of how he had his mother come to the baptism, and as he's going down into the water and comes up, he says she's just crying tears of joy as she sees her son being transformed by the power of God's word. Now, he has a podcast that's reading, reaching tens of thousands. Amen? This is the transformation that we can experience through the Bible. And this is my prayer for each of us. May this be your prayer. Lord, create in me a deeper desire for your word. Is that your desire today? Say, Lord, I may not have the desire that I need to have, but Lord, create in me a deeper desire for your word. Is that your desire today? Say, Lord, create in me a deeper desire for your word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the word of God. And we pray that you would help us as we've been tasked as believers in the priesthood of all believers, in the task of all being Bible students and Bible scholars to rightly divide the word of truth. And Lord, we need your help. We need the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and our minds. And most of all, may we be transformed from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from day to day. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.